the local church is the most important political institution on the planet. Hey, Cross United, I'm so glad you've joined us for this online message. We're going to be all over the scripture, but you can start out in Isaiah chapter 60 for today's message. We're continuing our series, Our Place in Our Nation, Power, Politics, and the People of God, that we're building out from the end of chapter 11 of John's Gospel, which we're going through section by section as a church in the series called The Book of Life. And in that section, we saw the story of the Sanhedrin and how they deliberated and decided about what to do with Jesus. And there were all of these political factors involved. And it just seemed like in God's perfect timing that this was uh, God leading us to spend a little bit of time in light of the election on the horizon on November 3rd to talk about how Christians should think about politics and about our relationship to human governing authority. And so we're doing that. We're spending a few weeks talking about those things which are very important for navigating faithfully the world that we, that we live in. And so um, I want to encourage you to, uh, to lean into this uh, message as we spend a few minutes talking about Christian political principles. We started last week talking about Christian political principles. The number one overarching principle and everything else is really just details based in this principle, and that is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord is the preeminent, primal, fundamental Christian political confession that we serve a king who rules over a kingdom that is not of this world. In light of that, we saw, secondly, that God has ordained human governing and political power to preserve order, justice, and peace. And uh, throughout this series, I'm kind of talking about politics and government, and I'm um, not always distinguishing between the two. There there is a difference. There's a lot of overlap. Uh, But the difference in the distinction would be that politics are more about how you get to the point of governing, that that politics are about attaining governing authority and governance is about executing that governing authority. But we're kind of using them interchangeably just to make things a little bit easier to wrap our minds around. Um, The third principle we saw is that Satan and sin have corrupted human government and political power. That human governing political authority has been corrupted by the influence of Satan and by the indulgence of sin. That people are under the sway of the flesh, the world, and the devil. And so they do things in their own self-interest. They do things against the intention of God's creation. We're going to see now in this message... Uh, principles four through seven of a human or a Christian vision of human governance and politics. And here's the fourth principle we see human governing political power can do good and evil and will answer to God for both human governing and political power can do both good and evil and will answer to God for both. Um, Human authority, as we have seen, have been entrusted with that authority and have been appointed for that authority by God. And that means in his perfect providence, in his sovereignty, in his in his in his omnipotence, in his all powerful rule of the world, God somehow in and through human actions, even 
political elections and, and all of the ways that people enter into political and governing authority, God is at work in and through those things. But yet those people and those institutions are corrupted because of sin and satanic influence. But yet we see here that every human government is a mixed bag and they can do both good and evil and that God will hold them to account for both. And, and one of the sections of scripture that I think is most helpful for this point is Isaiah chapter 60. Now, Isaiah chapter 60 is 22 verses, so we don't have time to go into the entire chapter. Um, and and a little book that I read uh, um, years ago that, that really helped me learn this the first time was a book called The Kings Come Marching In, When the Kings Come Marching In by Richard Mao. And uh, he talks about some of these things. And what we see there is that, that God will redeem the good of human culture and political authority and government are part of human culture. And he will reject and purge the bad. He will redeem the good and he will reject the bad. Look at Isaiah 60. And then we're going to look at verse three and verse five it says nations will come to your light. Speaking of the heavenly Jerusalem and Kings to your shining brightness, the riches of the sea will become yours and the wealth of the nations will come to you. So we see here the, the, the goodness of, of the nations and the wealth and the, the prosperity uh, and, and, and the power of the nations flowing into Jerusalem. Then down in verses 10 and 11, foreigners will rebuild your walls and their kings will serve you. Although I struck you in my wrath, it's again speaking to, to the people of God. I struck you in my wrath, yet I will show mercy to you with my favor. Your city gates, speaking of Jerusalem, will always be open so that they will never be shut day or night so that the wealth of the nations may be brought into you and the kings being led in procession. And so we see here that there is good in human culture and there is good in human government and human political power playing at times that, that we often think of politics as kind of this nasty murky thing and government as this bloated um, thing that that can't get anything right but we see the scriptures shows that that human governments human political power has good in it because of God's common grace that God has commonly bestowed upon all humanity and upon all human governments a measure of grace so that they have not completely and totally eradicated his intention from the way they do things. Now, they may do those things for the wrong reason. They may do those things sometimes in the wrong way, but there is created goodness intended by God in human politics and human government. And in every culture and every place we see. And what God's going to do is he's going to purify those good things and they are going to be made to serve his kingdom in the end. Uh, Augustine said long ago that the, that the relationship of God's kingdom to the, the, the kingdoms of this world were like two cities. And, and he wrote a massive book called The City of God. Uh, it's back behind me here on the shelf. And in that book, he talks about how the, the two cities are intermingled like a double, like a DNA helix in this life. And that sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between them, but that there is a stark eternal difference. And in his grace, um, 
the, the differences God's uh, in, in God's perfect um, providence, um, sometimes the city of man can get things right. And that the city of man can work toward the goals that God has originally intended for it, order, justice, and peace. But on the other hand, we know, as we saw last week in our third principle, that human governments and political power have been corrupted by sin and Satan. And so God will not let that go unpunished. Look there at Isaiah 60, verse 12. For the nation and the kingdom that will not serve you will perish. Those nations will be annihilated. So we see here that anything in an in a culture, politics, governance included, anything in a nation, any governing authority, any political power that does not ultimately serve the purposes of God and his kingdom will be, in, in the translation here, annihilated. And so we see here both the the, the, the wickedness and the corruption of human governance and human political power, but we also see that they are temporary, that there's this, there's a sign that says temporary put on top of every palace and every p presidential residence in human history. The ruins of Fallen empires litter the continents of the world and their stories fill the chapters of history because there's no human political governing authority that remains. They, are, they, they, they fall both in the sense of sinfulness and the sense of temporariness. The reign of Caesar will end. Babylon is a temporary city both in rebellion and in time. And sinful Caesar is a time-limited Lord. The sin of Caesar's reign will end and the rebellion of Babylon will fall. Look at Revelation 18.2. He called out with a mighty voice, It has fallen. Babylon the great has fallen. She has become a home for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird a haunt for every unclean and despicable beast. Now, what this means is, is that in every place and time where the people of God find themselves, they're going to be embedded in a nation, in a political governing power structure that in some ways aligns with the purposes of God and in many other ways rebels against the purposes of God. And this means we can't take any political system or any political party and look at it and say, totally God and good or totally satanic and sinful. We, we can't take any system, any, any way of ordering society, any government, any political power, and not use discernment, and not ask, where is God's common grace at work? On the other hand, we can't take any system, any party, any ideology, any, any way of ordering ourselves in terms of governance and politics, and say, this is the way. There's only one way, there's only one truth, and there's only one life. We have to discern the true 
and the false. This makes it a little bit more complex than XYZ cable news makes it sound. On, in the news and in the, in, the, in the ways people in the world talk about this, it's all black and white, us and them, good and evil. The light and the dark, the rebellion or the empire. This, this, is, this is how we talk about things because that's what sells. But we have to think things through biblically. Remember when, when the people of God were in Egypt, enslaved, and Moses went to Pharaoh and commanded that Pharaoh let the people go. And, and, and Pharaoh finally, after all of the plagues, lets the people go and, and God defeats Pharaoh and the gods of, of Egypt. And it says in um, Exodus 12 that the people of God plundered the wealth of the Egyptians. And, and I think God, God, what the scripture tells us is that God is going to plunder the goodness of his creation, that, that the goodness of creation, and specifically as it relates to human governing and political authority, God will take the good and he will take it and say, yeah, that's actually mine, and I'm going to deploy that in my kingdom. And then we see, though, that as Pharaoh and his army chased after the Israelites, that eventually God put them into the water, under the waters of judgment in Exodus 14, where, where the waters of, of, of the sea covered over them and they were judged and destroyed and that God will take the rest, the evil and the wicked, and he will destroy it and he will bury it under the waters of his judgment against evil. I think Augustine said this well in City of God. The two cities, the earthly and the heavenly, are mingled together from the beginning to the end of their history. One of them, the earthly city, has created for herself such false gods as she wanted from any source she chose, even creating them out of men in order to worship them with sacrifices. So he says the fundamental hallmark of the earthly city is idolatry, elevating creature over creator. We've seen that. We talked about how every political system or ideology tends toward idolatry. Now look what he says. The other city, the heavenly city, on pilgrimage, meaning we are not at home, in this world, does not create false gods. She herself is the creation of the true God, and she herself is to be his true sacrifice. Nevertheless, both cities alike enjoy the good things and are afflicted with adversities of the temporal state, but with a different faith, a different expectation, a different love, until they are separated by the final judgment, and each receives her own end, of which there is no end." Augustine's great, but even better are the words of Scripture in John the Revelator in the Apocalypse, Revelation we often call it. Look at chapter 12, verse 10. Then he says, I heard a loud voice in heaven say, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. In other words, Everything will either serve God and his kingdom purposes, or it will burn. God will summon the nations and their rulers for judgment. The fifth thing we see, the fifth political principle, God establishes his kingdom in and through the gathering of the local church. God establishes his kingdom in and through the gathering of the local church church. God created the world for people to have authority in the world. 
Genesis 1, 26 through 28, he says he created man and woman in his image to rule over the earth, to subdue it and to fill it, to take dominion over it. But people traded their rule in because they were, they desired to have God's rule instead in Genesis 3. And so that's what sin is, desiring God's place rather than the place that he has given us. Foreshadowed in the first chapters and all throughout the rest of the Bible, the story is told then of how God is on this rescue mission to redeem the world and the people in it, ultimately by sending Jesus Christ to live a sinless life, to die a sinner's death, to be buried and raised from the dead. So that anyone who will turn from their sin and trust in him will be forgiven of their sin and given eternal life, enter into the new creation, enter into the kingdom of God, enter into the eternal city, gaining a citizenship that can't be destroyed. We see that when we are brought into life with God that way and we confess that Jesus is Lord, that this is God re-enthroning himself over the world. Now, God has never been off the throne of the world, but there's been, there have been many, maybe most of the, the people in the world who have not acknowledged God's rule in the world. So when we say God is re-enthroning himself, we mean that people are beginning to recognize what is actually real and that God is the king, that Christ is the king. Christ has ascended to the right hand of God and is ruling over all things. And one day he will return and there will be no more debate or argument. Jesus will be Lord over all. And on earth, Christ rules in the most concentrated and clear way in and through the church. And we look at the scriptures in the New Testament. The word for church is used um, 114 times. And well over 90 of those times are speaking of local gatherings. The, the Greek word for church is ekklesia. The, the gathering, the congregation, or the church is often translated. And almost every single time, the vast majority, the super majority, a almost unanimous consensus of the scripture speaks of the church as a local body. Often we talk about the big C church, the capital C church, the universal church, and, and that's well and good, but the reality is that church doesn't fully exist until the end time gathering of the nations around the throne of God. We see that in Revelation 5, 9 and 7, 9. On earth, all we have is the local church. And the way Christ rules on earth is in and through, not just the church in a, an abstract generic sense, but in and through the local church, in and through our local church. That Christ is reigning over the cosmos, and the way he's showing that is through Cross United Church. Scripture can speak of going into the assembly of the church as literally going into heaven on earth. Look at Hebrews 12, 22 and 23. It says, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven. The church pledges allegiance to Jesus Christ and Jesus the King rules and reigns in the world, in and through the local church until he returns to make all things new and to put everything back under his rule of order, justice, and peace. Those who are in Christ 
will be raised into the city of God, and those who are not will be destroyed along with the city of man. Only the church on earth pledges allegiance to an unconquerable and eternal king who rules over a city that will never pass away. The church is a local body ruled over by King Jesus. And what this means, here's, if, if you don't hear anything else from this, hear this. The local church is the most important political institution on the planet. The local church is the most important political institution on the planet. It's more important than the November 3rd election or any fourth year's second Tuesday of November. It's more important than any president or down-ballot political contest. It's more important than the Supreme Court. It's more important than international summits or peace accords. It is more important than it is an eternal gathering of the city of God on earth. And what this means is, Christian, your most important political responsibility is to enter into and gather with your local church for the purposes God has given it. How we talk about that across United Church is we say that that God designed us for life by and we, we exist to help people find life like God intended by bringing people to God in wholehearted worship through the cross of Jesus Christ, bringing people together in authentic community, and by sending people out on the joyful mission that God has for them in the world. So when we gather in worship and community under the reign and the rule of King Jesus, having been forgiven of our sin by his grace and his death for us on the cross, having been made new and clean and free of shame and blame and and open to to really sharing the, the nasty parts of our lives with other people because we're forgiven and we have no one to impress, we have nothing to prove and we have eternally nothing to lose. When we come together in fellowship and hear the word together and sing the scripture and the word together and the the songs that we sing. And when we gather and we pray together and when we see people baptized and when we eat at the table of of the Lord's Supper together, we are a political community where Jesus is reigning as the eternal king. The most important political actions in your life are in and through your local church. The church rules and reigns under the king of the authority of, G, of of King Jesus in, in a in a invisible way. We're 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 not a triumphant people in this world. We are a people on pilgrimage through the world. And and what God has given to the state and to government and to political power is the power of the sword, the power to rule and govern over life and death. And and God has entrusted that authority to the governing authority and to the political power players who, as we have seen and said over and over, sometimes abuse that authority, sometimes use that authority for good. The gospel, though, the gospel, while the sword shapes the state, the gospel shapes the church. The church's power and authority isn't shaped like a sword. It's not shaped like a ballot box. The church's authority is shaped like a cross. It's shaped like an empty tomb. Jesus's kingship is revealed in the cross. Look at Matthew 27, 37. Above his head, they put up the charge against him in writing. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. 
His resurrection sealed the assurance of his kingship. Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus' cross, crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection are what shape how the church lives in the world. The church is a political community representing the soon-to-arrive reign of God in fullness. Jonathan Lehman has said that the church is like an embassy. It's sovereign soil of another place in another nation. The church lives and it moves as an opposition political party. The church has less in common with either political party in our nation than it does with God's own eternal purposes. The Republicans and the Democrats are both operating in an earthly political governing system. And therefore, they have more in common with each other than either of them do with the eternal city of God. It's not to say that there are some things in one are better versus another. The point is this, that neither party can capture the purposes of God. Only the church is where Jesus reigns in fullness. Now, that's, we're speaking of the gathered church, the church as a local church, but, but the church doesn't just gather, the church also scatters. The church is sent out and, and, and deployed on a joyful mission in the world. That's our sixth principle. The scattered church should seek the political order, justice, and peace of the earthly city. Theologians have long talked about Jesus fulfilling the three great roles of Old Testament leadership. Jesus is a great prophet. He is the word of God, as he, and he speaks the word of God. He is the incarnate word. Jesus is a great priest. He is the offerer and the sacrifice who sacrifices himself for the sake of sinners. And he is the great king who rules and reigns over the earth. And Christians have been entrusted with a measure of Jesus's authority and there are some who will be prophets, and they'll be like John the Baptist crying in the wilderness, and they'll be speaking truth to power, and they'll end up on the margin of society and rejected by the human governing and political power players of their day. There are some who are called to be priests and who are called to exercise their, their role primarily in and through the body of the local church. And they, they, they're, they're not the, necessarily that prophetic voice in the public, but they're that, they're that prophetic voice in the pulpit. And then there are those who are called to be, uh, the, the, exercise a measure of kingly authority, like Nehemiah or Esther, who ascended the ladders of power in, in their day and, and had the ear of the emperor. So there are, there are people called into all of these different spheres of life, and God intends the church to be salt and to be light in the earth and the world and the nation where we find ourselves. It tends to be, he intends for us to be salt and light in the political moments in which we find ourselves. He intends for us to be salt, to preserve the good and to be light, that is to expose the evil. To be willing to say, no, that's not God's intention. To be willing to say, no, that is not God's intention. To look to the left and say, no, you're missing it. To look to the right and say, no, you're missing it. To say, Jesus is Lord, and that's what this means for our moment. 
He's called us, Jeremiah 29, 7, to pursue the well-being or the shalom, the peace of the city I have deported you to, to pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive, to seek the welfare of the earthly city where we find ourselves, meaning we want America to be the best it can be. Now, you might say, oh, that's, a, that's great, you know, that's interesting, okay, some of that's helpful, um, but a lot of it sounds kind of highfalutin, you know, I'm like, I'm not called to be this prophetic voice in the wilderness, and I'm not a pastor, and I'm not called to be in politics, like, what do I do? What do I do? Well, Jeremiah 29, 7 is actually preceded by something a lot more normal than some sort of uh, grand vision of, of, of entering into the, the, the upper echelons of political power. And that's actually not the point of that verse in the first place. Look what he says, Jeremiah 24, 5 and 6, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters, meaning live a godly life in the nation where you find yourself. Do the things God has called you to do. Do them faithfully and do them well. Do, the, 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 do what you can with faithfulness and integrity. Be salt where you can be salt and be light where you can be light. Fortunately, in the, in the New Testament as well, we, we see a bunch of principles that God lays out for how to live and what to do in our moment, in, 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 in their moment, which applies now to our moment. We're going to talk about that next week. We're going to finish out these seven Christian political principles, and we're, next week we're going to talk about some Christian political practices. Okay, that's great. We have this whole framework of what it means that Jesus is Lord. That's absolutely critical. Now, what do we do? We're going to talk about that next week, but before we can talk about that, we need to remind ourselves of the seventh point, and that is this. Jesus will be Lord. Now, we've said this all along, but this is just to remind ourselves and to remind us and to reaffirm that one day all political power playing on earth will give way to the princes of peace's order of justice and his reign of righteousness. That one day, Zechariah 14, 9. On that day, the Lord will become king over the whole earth, the Lord alone in his name alone. The potentates, the princes, and the presidents of the nations will kneel before the king, either as willing subjects or conquered enemies. And on that day, the hosts of the nations, the hosts of the angels will sing, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And friends, that's good news. Hope you'll join us next week for the last part of this series as we talk about Christian political practices. Now we know how to think, so let's talk about how we should engage the politics of our moment. God designed us for life, an abundant life with him and with one another. But there's a problem. Someone has taken our life. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We're missing out on life like God intended because we go looking for life in all the wrong places. But there is a solution to this problem. 
Jesus said he came so that we may have life and have it in abundance. That's why Cross United Church exists, to help people find life like God intended. We believe life like God intended happens when three things are united in our lives. When we're brought to God in wholehearted worship through the cross of Jesus Christ, when we're brought together in authentic community, when we're deployed on the joyful mission that God has for us in the world, we experience fullness of life. Life like God intended, united in wholehearted worship, authentic community, and joyful mission is why Cross United Church exists.